Is Satan's personal name Lucifer? Was he the worship leader of heaven prior to his fall? These are traditional Christian beliefs, but do they stand up under the scrutiny of biblical revelation? Let's inspect these and other ideas concerning this arch enemy of the human race on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. This is part two of a two-part series on nine myths about Satan. I'm going to give you a quick review of what we covered last week in the beginning episode. First, the definition of a myth. What is a myth? A dictionary definition might sound like this. A myth is a legendary story or idea that is not necessarily based on facts. Instead, myths are unprovable and or false beliefs embraced by various cultural groups that are used to justify certain behaviors, rituals, or traditions. And there are nine generally accepted myths about Satan that we're going to cover. In the first episode, we focused our attention on five that are definitely myths, and I want to review them right now. Myth number one, Satan can talk to you and tempt you every single day of your life. Number two, Satan and his subordinate demons cannot read your mind. Myth number three, Satan has red skin, horns, a pitchfork, a pointed tail, and the appearance of a goat. Number four, Satan reigns in hell. And number five, Satan was an archangel. Now, Number five is moving us into a new category, really, because it is possible that he was an archangel, even though he's referred to as an anointed cherub, which is different than an archangel. It is possible, but not provable, because there is no biblical passage that states that Satan was originally an archangel. So now we're going to move into four more, number six, seven, eight, and nine, myths about Satan, and all of them are possible but not provable. The first ones were definitely wrong, but these, you can look at it either way, but you can't really prove it by the Bible. Now, the main passages we're going to touch on are Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 19. You might want to read these on your own. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, and Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. That whole chapter deals with a lot of different aspects of Satan's invasion into the earth. Now, remember this rule of exegesis. You cannot use parables or symbols or metaphors in the Bible to prove a doctrine or to 
establish a biblical doctrine. You use symbols and metaphors and parables to illustrate and enhance doctrines or concepts that are clearly spelled out in other places in Scripture. And too often people take parables and symbols and metaphors to establish an idea or a concept or a doctrine, and it proves to be faulty. And that's happened quite often, not only in this particular territory, but in a lot of other areas of doctrine and belief. Myth number six, and you may be taken aback by this statement, but I think you'll see where I'm coming from very quickly. Myth number six, Satan's proper name is Lucifer. That is possible, but it is not provable, and it's not really probable. And I know I'm going to have to prove my case on that. Let me give you some definite biblical names for Satan. Now, these are spelled out clearly in Scripture. And incidentally, the word Satan means hater or adversary. Just like you have a God that loves you with an everlasting love, you have an adversary who hates you and wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. But thank God there are more for us and with us than there are with him. Now, these are definite names, and I'm going to give you the exact scriptural reference. He's referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He's referred to in Revelation chapter 12 as that great dragon, that serpent of old, the devil, and the accuser of the brethren. He's referred to as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He's referred to as Belial, which means the worthless one or the lawless one in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. He's referred to as the adversary in 1 Peter 5, 8. He's referred to as the wicked one and the evil one in Matthew 13, 19 and John 17, 15. Now, I know you'll have to come back and listen to this to get all these references, but I'll also include them on the notes on cpnshows.com. He's referred to also as a liar and the father of lies in John 8, 44. He's referred to as a murderer from the beginning in John 8, 44. He's called the tempter in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And he's called Satan in the first and second chapter of Job. He was referred to as the prince of the devils by the Pharisees who were conversing with Jesus. And he was also referred to as Beelzebub. And Jesus verified that name for Satan. And interestingly, the word Beelzebub means either Lord of the flies or God of the dung. So it's probably the most appropriate name that could be given to the devil. He's often called the prince of darkness, but you don't find that anywhere in Scripture, although it is true. Now, before going into Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 19, to explain why I think it's questionable whether or not the name Lucifer can be applied to Satan, let me mention the reason that Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 19 was prophesied. It was on the foundational level, a prophetic utterance to the king of Babylon. Most likely 
it was a prophetic utterance to Belshazzar. It's not really certain it may have been a different potentate in that line of kings, but it was probably Belshazzar. But some of the descriptive statements in this passage of Scripture could never refer to an earthly king. So why does it have that double level of application? Because often prophecy does that. Prophetic utterances apply to something present and something future. And so they have meaning on two different levels with respect to time. It may have referred to Belshazzar on one level, but then you bump it up to the next level and it refers to the power that ruled the kingdom of Babylon, which was the main adversary of Israel at that time. And so who was an adversary to Israel, spiritually speaking, Satan himself? And so who was motivating the king of Babylon to try and crush Israel, captivate Israel, enslave Israel? Well, of course, it was Satan who was the chief spiritual power who empowered the earthly ruler who was an adversary to Israel. So now you can see why it would be on two levels. Let me read Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 19. And this is where, in the New King James Version, you find the word Lucifer, just as you do in the King James Version. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, and now you find the five I will statements. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. The King James Version says hell. But quite often the Hebrew word Sheol is translated hell in the King James Version, but it just means the underworld. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. There's a lot of information in those verses that I am not going to focus our attention on, but let's go back to verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, the original word, the Hebrew word that is translated Lucifer is Hillel, which can be just a descriptive word, not a proper name. It just means morning star. And for that reason, some other translations 
render it that way. Like the complete Jewish Bible says, how did you come to fall from the heavens? Morning star, son of the dawn. How did you come to be cut down to the ground? Conqueror of nations. That's the complete Jewish Bible rendering it morning star instead of Lucifer because quite evidently it is a reference to Venus, the planet Venus, which was referred to as the morning star because it's the first star-like object you see in the sky when the sun is setting and the last star-like object you see in the morning, right before the sun dawns, right before the day comes into being. And so it's referred to as the light bringer as a result because it's the last star, or it's not really a star, it's a planet, but it's the last object in the heavens you often see right before the sun rises. So it means light bringer. And it's not a provable name for Satan. It could be just a description as uh, the role that he fills deceptively, because the Bible says he can appear as an angel of light. But to call him Lucifer is to actually declare him to be a bringer of light. And he doesn't bring light, he brings deception. He brings delusion. He brings temptation. He brings darkness, not light. And so I refuse to use that name for him, first of all, because I'm not convinced it's a biblical name. Jesus never used that name for Satan. The apostles never used that name for Satan. None of the prophets other than possibly Isaiah in this passage used that name for Satan. None of the Bible writers, 40 Bible writers, use that name for Satan except this one obscure verse. And so I'm not convinced I'm not convinced that it's proper, especially because Jesus himself never used it. And by the way, if the enemy occupies that role of, quote unquote, the morning star or attempts to, he's robbing Jesus of a title that the Son of God bears rightfully. And let me give you the scriptures that refer to that. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says to John, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So he's the light that's shining in this world when all other lights fade from view in the darkness of the last days. There's just a faint light that is the herald of the dawning of a new day, the harbinger of the coming of a new beginning. And of course, the dawning of that day is the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. So he is the morning star, not the devil. Jesus is the morning star. And if Hillel means morning star, I refuse to use the translation of Hillel as an application rightfully to Satan himself. And then also in Revelation chapter 2, verses 27 through 29, listen to this. This is one of the promises to overcomers mentioned in the message to the seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation, which is a fabulous subject. I love to preach on it. But here is a passage that includes this. It says, 
he who overcomes, this is verse 26 through 29 of chapter 2, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I have also received from my father. In other words, we will be his co-rulers, and apparently we will help bring the restoration of the government of God in this world during the millennial era, that we will rule the nations with a rod of iron if we overcome. And then Jesus said, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. So not only does Jesus claim to be the morning star, he says if we overcome, we receive the morning star. And of course, that means that when our lives are enshrouded in darkness and we overcome sin, we overcome Satan, we overcome the fallen nature, we overcome the world by receiving Jesus into our life, it's the dawning of a new day for us. It's the first faint light that brings the sun rising in our life with healing in his wings. Because he's not only the morning star, he's the sun of righteousness who arises over our lives. So once again, I believe that all of those are valid reasons to discredit the idea that Lucifer is a proper name for Satan. Now, it's possible. Again, I said these are myths about Satan that are possible. They're possibly true, but most likely not true. So let's go to the next one, all right? Number seven and number eight are actually both contained in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 19. Myth number seven. Satan was the worship leader of heaven before he fell. Have you ever heard that? I have many times. Myth number eight, Satan was the anointed cherub who covered the throne of God or hovered above God in the holy of holies of the celestial world. Possible, but not provable. I could say that for both of those statements. Now, let me read Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 19, and you'll pick up real quickly where those beliefs are rooted, all right? And again, this is a prophecy on one level to an earthly king, the king of Tyre, but the ruling power spiritually behind the king of Tyre was once again Satan. So this prophetic utterance was applicable on two levels, to the natural king of Tyre and to the supernatural king of Tyre. Because some of the statements could never be a reference to the earthly king in his day. It would not refer to him in any way. All right, let's read through it. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, of course, the king of Tyre was not in the garden of Eden, but the supernatural king of Tyre was. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, 
was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Now, timbrels are hand instruments and pipes are wind instruments. So those are musical instruments. And that's where you get this idea that he led the musical worship of heaven. But it doesn't say that. It just says the workmanship of his timbrels and pipes were in him or prepared for him the day that he was created. The King James says it was in him. Then verse 14 says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. That's all it says. It doesn't say that he covered the throne of God. It doesn't say that he hovered above the image of God on the throne. It just said he was the anointed cherub who covers. Now we do know that there are cherubim in the throne room. We learned that in other places in Ezekiel and also in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. The living creatures are cherubs around the throne or cherubim around the throne. So what did he cover? We are not told what that means. It just says he was the anointed cherub who covered. It's up to question what he covered. And then it says, you were the anointed cherub who covered. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Now remember that phrase. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So God is not the originator of evil. Satan was the originator of evil. Everything was perfect until evil surfaced in Satan's heart. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the mist of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So the original sin was pride. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. He lost his pure God-given wisdom because he got hung on himself, egocentric, prideful. No wonder the first thing in the list of seven things God hates is a proud look because that was the door that opened to an invasion of evil in the universe. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your mist. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Wow. That's a very intense passage. And I believe I've already shown you why those two ideas are mythical in nature. Because Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 19 does not prove that he was a covering cherub over the throne of God, nor does it prove that he led the musical worship of heaven. Those things are possible, but not provable. So in some sense, mythical. All right, let's go to myth number nine, and then I'm going to close. Myth number nine is found in Revelation chapter 12, and really the whole chapter deals with Satan. Let me read at least 10 verses. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, 
and on her head a garland of 12 stars. I believe she represents the Israel of God and the bride of Christ, the one who is a composite bride made up of all those who have been committed to God, married to God in a covenant relationship, Old Testament and New Testament fused together into one body of people and represented as a woman clothed with the sun in Revelation 12, 1. And she being with child cried out in labor and in pain to give birth and another sign appeared in heaven. Listen now, behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his head. How did a serpent in the Garden of Eden become a fiery red dragon in the book of Revelation? From the first book to the last book of the Bible, he grows in size immensely and looks not subtle, but evil and and very disturbing in his appearance. It's because he took over more territory by taking over the hearts of people. And that's how he grows in size, by growing in influence, I believe. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. There appeared this fiery red dragon in heaven with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. And I believe that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels and they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So that passage proves that demons were once angels, but now in a fallen state. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down. So the only reference to a third of the angels is a symbolic metaphorical reference that his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the ground. Could that mean angels? Possibly. Can we prove that that means angels? Absolutely not. So that's another myth about Satan that is possibly true, but not definitely true and not provable at all. I do want to mention in closing, though, that he's referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And I believe all the demons that serve under him have caught that particular strategy. They are all accusers of the brethren. But demonic powers accuse us five ways. Apparently, Satan accuses us to God, but satanic powers also accuse God to us. God's failed you. God's not going to move for you. God hasn't answered your prayer. All these negative things about God fill in your mind sometimes are demonic and 
origin if you feel those doubtful, fearful statements that God's not going to accept you or receive you or is against you. Also, satanic powers accuse you to other people, feeding other people with negative thoughts about you and accuse other people to you, filling your mind with negative accusations. But the worst of all is probably satanic powers accusing you to yourself where you're constantly berating and downgrading yourself and thinking to yourself unworthy. Well, of course we're unworthy. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Now, I have a final bonus myth. It's number 10. I didn't advertise 10 myths, but I'm going to give you a bonus myth. It was not an apple that Satan tempted Eve with. So many pictures depict an apple being transferred from Satan to Eve, from Eve to Adam, but the Bible never said it was an apple. It's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If it was an apple, you and I should not be eating them, and I would dare to say that's a horrible little quip that we often quote, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. If it was really an apple that enticed Eve, and brought the human race down, then we should be saying an apple a day makes the doctor stay. No, it wasn't an apple. And you need to get rid of that out of your thinking altogether. Well, that was a lot of information. On the next podcast episode, I'm going to tell you about two dreams that I have had about Satan that are very revelatory. So there's going to be one more episode on this important subject, and I believe it's going to be very edifying for you to hear what happened in those dreams. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.